You are listening to Radio Boise, KRBX 89.9 FM, Caldwell, Boise. Uh, I am Justin Vaughn. I'm here with my co-host, Jen Schneider and Corey Cook. This is The Big Tent, a program about public affairs in uh, Idaho and the United States and Earth. Uh, <laughs> good start today's good show. Start, yeah. We uh, are uh, very fortunate to have with us Jody Peterson, who's the co-director of Interfaith Sanctuary here in Boise. Jody, welcome to the Big Tent. I am honored to be here. Thank you. Speaking of honored, um, you and your organization were recently honored by the School of Public Service. Corey, the dean of the School of Public Service, and can probably tell us a little bit more about about that. Yeah, so the, the School of Public Service has a Commitment to Idaho Award that we award every year to uh, someone who makes a difference in our community. And this year we honored Interfaith Sanctuary not only for the way that they uh, meet the needs of our vul- most vulnerable population in, 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 the, in the Treasure Valley uh, and, and do so with such incredible integrity, but also work to create long-term solutions uh, around housing and homelessness issues in, in our community. And as we see around the country, uh, homelessness is on the rise throughout the United States. We see uh, housing insecurity around the country. Uh, while the economy is, is going very strong in a lot of metropolitan areas, uh, housing and homelessness issues are on the top of the agenda. And so you know, it's a great opportunity today to talk about what's happening in our community and talk about Interfaith Sanctuary and some of the incredible work you're doing. We love that. (laughs) We like sharing our stories because we have good stories. Oftentimes when you sit down to talk about homelessness, it kind of, it makes you sad. But right now in this city with the work we're able to do, there's a lot of initiatives that are working. Yeah, so let's talk about some of those. So, um, you know, obviously you've you've really been innovative in this community. Yeah, so. we, we decided, you know, two years ago, Dan Alt, my co-director, and myself were asked to step up as the directors of the shelter. And we took a really hard look at what was keeping our guests stuck in the shelter because we actually had 89 guests who had lived with us on and off for over six years and we're an emergency shelter. So clearly there was things that were not happening in the community to allow them to move forward. And so, you know, our first initiation was working, we built this case management team. um, And so suddenly these case managers were getting the stories of the people living in our shelter and they were working with them on these barriers. And one of the barriers was employment. They wanted to get back to work, but they had done something in their past that was just holding them down. There's this need to do everything online now, so when you check a box, it kicks you out. So they watched them struggle to try and get interviews or to be refused employment because of their past. So that's when we initiated a program with the City of Boise Parks and Rec. We worked with Doug Holloway, who... Basically, he staffs all of the parks to keep them beautiful, and he was struggling to find that employee. We don't have a lot of people in the city of Boise who want to go and clean up a park, and so we created this low barrier employment opportunity where we're going to overcome some of these things that are holding you down. And some of that is some mental health issues, so there's definitely going to be disability walking onto the job site. So we basically created the program with a case manager to attend every day of work with them. So they're managing whatever might come from the stress of getting back to work. And then the city of Boise staff, they're just managing their job description. And it's been so successful and it's given a lot of really great people a second chance. And 
they are considered the hardest working crew in all of Parks and Rec. And we started with one, and now we have three working crews. And That's pretty remarkable. It's pretty remarkable. It's only a year old. Eight people have successfully moved out of the shelter because of stable income, so they qualify for housing. A lot of people are much healthier, mm-hmm. and um, we continue to keep pushing it and growing it, and we have really good partnerships who believe in it. And to have uh, such long-term residents in the shelter, obviously that indicates you're serving a need in the community that otherwise isn't being served, right? Correct. So you don't, you don't accept federal money? We don't. Um, we can't take federal funding and work the way we want to for mm-hmm. this population. So we, you know, two years ago we stepped away from federal funding, and now we just take so all So what are some private. of the limits that, that uh, would ensue if you took federal If funds? we received funding as an emergency shelter um, every 90 days, we would have to ask guests to leave our building for 30 days. Most of our guests don't qualify for any other programming, so we basically say, we'll see you in 30 days, go live out on the street. Right. And right. that's not humane, it's not kind, and it's it's not the right way to treat any human being, and so we we don't do that. We just work harder to make sure that we have dollars that allow us to be true to our mission, because we believe everyone deserves shelter. Yeah, and, and you've been working with the criminal justice system locally. Yeah, um, that was another population that we found we're really struggling, and it's that criminalization of the homeless. So they're getting citations because they have no home for trespassing, sleeping on a sidewalk, open container because they have no place to drink a beer, or they have no place to go to the bathroom because all the bathrooms are locked at night. So they're getting these citations, which actually go into the criminal court system. And they're showing up on background checks. And they don't have the means to actually get transportation to go to the courthouse to pay the fees or do what's required. And so they're just circling. And they get an open warrant because they didn't make their court date. They go to prison, well, not prison, but jail for three to four days. So if we did get them a job, they just missed three days of work and they just got fired or they missed their housing meeting and so they got taken off the list for housing. The side effects weren't being seen by the criminal court system. They were being seen by us and we knew why they were failing because they were giving them an assignment that they couldn't actually achieve. And so we started this program. It's two weeks old now. It's called Monday Meetups and it's a social service day that is basically creating kind of a mobile criminal court system in our shelter. So if you have a citation or an open warrant, anything like that, you come to our shelter on Mondays and we have a public defender, a prosecutor, and a probation officer, and they actually reconcile as much as they can right there in the shelter. So our shelter during the day turns into community service so they no longer have to try and get transportation Mm -hmm. to go and find community service. There's a requirement of education for mental health or drug and alcohol treatment. We do those on site now. So the PD meets with the prosecutor and they say, okay, eight hours of community service, eight hours of education, and this is clean, you're done. And then we have health and welfare there to help with food stamps. We have a number of different programs, and I can tell that we're going to go to a break. <laughs> so I'm going to let you do that, <laughs> and then I'll, st- I'll, I'll explain the rest of it. Okay. Well, you're listening to uh, The Big Tent. We're here with Jody Peterson from Interface Sanctuary, and we'll be back in a moment.
er a d yo b oi c er a d yo ba oi c er a d yo ba oi c er a d yo ba many different voices yo ba oi er a d one great radio station radio boise community radio for the treasure valley and beyond You are listening to The Big Tent. I'm Justin Vaughn. I'm here with Jen Schneider and Corey Cook, my co-hosts of this program. And we have with us today Jody Peterson from Interfaith Sanctuary. Jody, you were just telling us a few moments ago about Monday meetups at the Interfaith Sanctuary. Yeah, it's a new initiative that we have created. Um, It's a lot of partnerships. A lot of agencies are now every Monday coming to Interfaith Sanctuary to help kind of connect people. Whether they have a citation or not, they're there every Monday. So... There's sometimes education that's required for someone who has um, probation, supervised or unsupervised. So CWI is there to do GD um, signups. They do classes every Wednesday and Thursday now at the sh- at Corpus Christi. We've basically created a way for anyone who's homeless to have the same probation officer. So Mary Garcia, who's the misdemeanor probation officer at their offices now is at Interfaith, so anyone who's homeless just has to do their check-in at the shelter every Monday. So now they're making this connection on a regular basis and actually getting forgiveness for that probation that they weren't finishing up. So you're eliminating these barriers that otherwise are going to be insurmountable for We are. And um, we have a judge at Ada County named Judge Steckel, and he was really passionate about this idea, and he actually said, Let's the PD and the prosecutor let them meet at the shelter, do the pretrial. I'll hold the court every Monday from 1.30 to 2.30 to see whichever people need to come. And then Interface Sanctuary, we drive them in our van with case managers to get them reconciled. So two Mondays, we've moved 15 citations out of the court system. They're reconciled at Interface Sanctuary. That was the first Monday. The second Monday, we did 10. Two went to court and got reconciled so now they just come back to do community service we also got the dmv to hold an hour for us every wednesday so people can sign up to get a replacement id on monday and then we take them to the dmv the first wednesday that we took them we got five ids in 20 minutes and this um this wednesday we got eight ids done which is unbelievable well, explain that why that because that's critically important critically right? so what important. is that what it, why is that such an important because piece? mostly they've been trying to get their ids replaced forever and the system is just too complicated they're given a check you know through one of the agencies and told to get there and they can't get there the bus lines are complicated or it's just something else came up and they just need hand holding for a while and then they start to find their self-sufficiency but these things are hard yeah. And so we want it to make it not hard. We want to be there for them so that they, like at the end of the day, they're like, oh my gosh, I got my ID. Oh my gosh, I'm signed up for community service finally. Like these things change the way they feel every day. They want to be successful. Right. It's just the system doesn't make it easy. So part of what I find exciting about your work, and, you know, in, you know this, is, this is not an unusual challenge in cities across the United States, right? But we know that cities have difficulty addressing these issues because of the complexity of their local government bureaucracies, whether it's cities and counties, whether it's navigating the nonprofit structure. But being able to work across these traditional barriers is often 
an insurmountable challenge for the, the clients that you work with, right? So Agreed. being able to try to eliminate those barriers and work in partnership is, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of effort. How, how are yeah. you pulling this off? Well, you know, I, I've gotten that question a few times, and quite honestly, the people that I called, it took one phone call to ask if they would help with this programming. From the public defender to the prosecutor to the judge to health and welfare, every single one of these agencies, it's like they were sitting there waiting for someone to say, do you want to all sit in the same room and do this together? And every Monday from 9 to 10, we debrief. So we're sharing the stories of the people who are actively engaged with Monday meetups. So now they've got a team of people who are making sure they're getting what they need. And there's such a feeling of pride about that. Like the judge, Judge Steckel, he said that he just felt like he had no tools in his toolbox, that he was seeing the same people all the time. The public defender and prosecutor felt very powerless to make change for them. And now suddenly they get to come to this building and see these people maybe start to improve and not be seen at the courthouse all the time or never and then in jail. So everyone wants to do their job well. Connecting to homeless people, you have to meet them where they're at. Mm -hmm. And that's what this program does and that's why everyone's there. So Interfaith becomes the catalyst of that, right? The organizer yeah. and the catalyst. We're bold. We, mm -hmm. you know, we don't like to sit at a table and talk about everything that's going wrong. We like to see what's going wrong and, and really boldly go out there and fix it. And we do find that people are grateful for that because there's a little bit of bravery that goes into it. We could fail really big or we could succeed, and you have to be willing to take that risk. Yeah, it seems like the non the nonprofits in the town have, have come together on a number of solutions around mm -hmm. housing and homelessness issues. Yes, uh, obviously there's a new um, housing first model uh, finally yeah. coming. Yeah, so, and you've been involved in that a little bit. Yeah, we sat at the table for a long time on that one, but it was needed. It's it's a big project. Um, it's about looking at your chronically homeless, those people who have really been out on the streets for years and years, and probably won't ever be transitioning out of some sort of supportive housing. So this really looks at what what our numbers say is that we have about 220 chronically homeless people that live in our city. I think it's bigger than that. The way that you do point in time counts, mm -hmm. it's the number we play with. But that being said, that's a pretty low number compared to other cities. So it's a manageable number. I, I moved here from I San Francisco. Could, San Francisco is in the is literally yeah, tens of thousands. So. I truly believe we could end homelessness. I mean, you're always going to have people entering the system, but I do believe that we, cre we could create the exit out of that homelessness because of the size of the city, the collaboration, and the people. I really mm -hmm. do. But this is a good first step because what's that it's going to take those 40 most vulnerable people that are using up a lot of the resources from emergency medicine to the jail system to just everything all those misdemeanors it's going to move them into this stable housing and they're going to have supportive services in their building they're not ever going to really be asked to be self-sustaining they're going to be cared for, though, and, and that's going to take a lot of pressure off someone like Interfaith, who probably has, of those 40 people, 30 of them living with us. Mm -hmm. So then we become better at helping others. And then there's another project that's coming for vets, which is long overdue. They deserve to have a place to live. And shelters are the hardest for them because of the post-traumatic stress yeah. disorders. Being inside a building that has no privacy it, it does not make good behavior happen. 
and so they they suffer because of it so those are important those are for people who are chronically homeless where we're totally letting people down is that homeless person who's actually gotten back on their feet they're employed they're working 40 hours a week but they have an eviction or they had a past offense they can't get into a house so they're literally living in an emergency shelter while going to work from eight to five every day Right, so an incredibly tight housing market. Incredibly tight and very little access back in. And I, I think we have to be more innovative for that population who can take care of themselves, but they're they're in a shelter right. because where else are they going to go? Are you seeing an increase in that population mm-hmm. as the as the you know the housing crisis or the emerging yeah. housing crisis we see in the Treasure Valley? We have more families that are homeless, and also with the opiate crisis, we have much mm. more young people who are homeless that um, we are looking at new programming right now to help them. We have kids aging out of the foster care that there's very limited resources for them, and so they're all ending up at emergency shelters. And you mentioned your relationship with the city has changed over time. It has. Yeah. How's that? (laughs) It's so great. I mean, I I feel like I've learned a lot since I first dove into this really full-time as someone who was advocating for homeless people. Um, I have matured in how I believe I should message for and represent this population. I, I went in fighting mad at first um, with my fists, and I, I needed to probably do that for a little while, but then slowly um, the city of Boise and I have become partners, and now with the work program, that's a success for both of us. And um, learning how to tell the story of our homeless to the right people mm-hmm. so that they're able to engage for us because they don't they don't get to work in a shelter every day they need someone to deliver the story to them and we have to talk in a way that they want to listen having an active board i'm sure helps with it that. certainly yeah. helps yeah. yeah and you know the mayor worked very closely with us on creating some of this programming and we both feel really good about it it's 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 um we have a lot of pride, both of us, for it. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll come back. We'll talk a little bit more about how you got involved in this kind of work. Uh, you're listening to The Big Tent, and we'll be back in just a second. From songs that don't sound like songs to pop compositions punching out of the ether. This is the whole enchilada. KRBX. 89.9 at 93.5 FM. We are back. This is The Big Tent. I'm Justin Vaughn. I'm here with Jen Schneider, Corey Cook, and today, Jody Peterson from Interface Sanctuary. Uh, Jody, we, we were talking just before the break about uh, uh, the way that you know your approach to being a leader of this organization has changed from when you first got started. What got you into that work in the first place? Well, so this is where the conversation goes a little sad. Um, My mom was diagnosed with cancer, and she died seven months later. And a year after that, my dad had a psychotic break. And um, he was my hero. He was an amazing leader. He was a great businessman. He took great care of his family. And when he had this psychotic break, um, we suddenly were thrust into this mental health system that was terrifying and um, not easy to navigate. My dad had money. He had a home to live in. He had three daughters who loved him and we 
could barely keep him alive. And um, eventually he died from this disease. And it was really eye-opening to see when coming back to Boise, this is when Cooper Court, the tent city, was, was raising up behind our shelter. And one day I decided to go and bring some water to this group. It was super hot. It was like in September. And I drove back there, and I had been listening to the press say, oh, boy, these are those bad, dangerous homeless people who just want to be outside so that they can party. Stay away from them. And so that's what I kind of expected. I was a little nervous going back there. Pulled up in there, opened the back of my car to say, hey, I have some water. And a group of people came and asked if they could help me unload the water. And then they asked if they could take the water to their friends who weren't feeling well. And suddenly I was like, oh, there's a whole different story going on here. And all of these people look a lot like my dad. They had the blank look in their eyes. They were pretty desperate and sick. And um, they were not meaning to be a problem. They just, there was not a system that was going to work for them. And there were so many stories out there, like husbands, and like there's so many things that keep you from being in a shelter, and it has very little to do with the need to party. It's a husband and wife who can't live as husband and wife, and it's a family who just had a tragedy. Like there's same-sex marriage, and there's there's a hundred stories. And um, so I decided to see how I could serve that population. And I guess my counselor says that I transferred my grief and need to care for my father Mm. to an entire group, but whatever, (laughs) it worked. Um, And so I learned a lot. And that was kind of when I was in that really passionate, rageful place where I didn't understand why more people weren't trying to bring support and services to them. And I didn't understand why we couldn't just keep them there and and learn and care for them where we knew the, where they were and then it all exploded and they disbanded at Cooper Court and lives were lost and it was just really frustrating and sad. Um, but then um, I was asked to step in to create a calm because it affected Interface Sanctuary, it, it affected the homeless community, the advocacy, like everyone was kind of in a bad place and they said, come in and see if you can bring a calm to this and and help us figure out what we do next. And that's where I slowly started learning um, how to be a better leader and how to, you know, my my co-director is awesome. He has a master's in social work from Boise State. (laughs) And he's really good at like preparing our case managers who are students from Boise State, (laughs) which we're very proud about. Um, But like it was that partnership where I could kind of, you know, get the funding and lead the charge for some change. And then he was implementing it beautifully inside the shelter. And we were figuring out how to care for people in a really compassionate way and giving them hope. All of our programs are about giving them hope again because there's just been so much failure. And um, I never, ever imagined that I would be a director of a homeless shelter. It's quite shocking, honestly, but I, it's the best job I've ever had. So what had you been doing? What was your career path before I was that? just kind of in a contract employee for anyone who needed help that was a nonprofit. I would mm-hmm. create events. I was a contract employee for Interfaith for 12 years doing the extreme holiday extravaganza. I worked for Radio Boise to help create the underwriting program. I helped the Democrats. I helped, you know, like whoever needed help, I kind of have this good model of 
creating events and synergy to help bring attention. And um, now it's completely focused on one cause, and that's actually, I like that. I like just telling one story. And so the skills translated. Absolutely. It, it was almost like everything I had done leading up to it gave me all the tools I needed to figure out how in the world do I run a homeless shelter right. as like a marketing girl from Newport Beach, California. <laughs> <laughs> What's that going to look like? But yeah, um, everything I've done leading up to now created the ability for me to do this. And I didn't even know I, I didn't know that I knew how to do it. Well, that's remarkable. I mean, you know, I, obviously when we met not too long ago and talked about some of your, your path. I think, you know, we, we talk with students a lot about sort of what their career paths will look like and preparing them for multiple careers in multiple sectors. And, yeah. you know, the, the old model of, you know, your probably grandparents where they would go to work in the same same plant for 40 years has certainly changed. But yeah. to see this sort of career evolution, I think, is fascinating and, and something that I think, you know, certainly we want to get in front of students as an example for how, you know, being resilient and having skills that they actually can transcend Absolutely. You know, different sectors and different types of work entirely. And collect those skills because they will add up to what ultimately is going to be your dream job. Mm -hmm. But you don't always start there. And so this is the dream job? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I feel so lucky. So we got about one more minute left, um, and as we wrap up, um, what's uh, what's kind of the, the 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 far future goal for the interface actuary? Housing. Um, you know, we would like to be able to take our emergency shelter and create that next level for high achievers. You know, once you're employed and showing results, we'd like to give you your own room. Um, so giving them something to aspire to because right now we have a lot of people working hard but they still go to bed in a dorm every night in a bunk bed mm. so that's a goal any funders out there can call me <laughs> 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 but yeah i mean that's the next step is like let's get these people a place of their own and some privacy and and dignity well, thank you very much for joining us today. We've been with Jody Peterson, the co-director of Interface Sanctuary. Uh, Corey, Jen, we'll be back again next week. We have a conversation with uh, Lori Hausiger, who is the director of New Leadership Idaho, and talk about kind of the role of uh, training the next generation of women in our, our political system.